Hello and welcome to episode 218 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome Vanessa Downing from Samuel, or as they are known now as Samuel SC. SC is for State College in Pennsylvania, where they got together. And uh, if you were on the East Coast, mid-90s, early mid-90s, you were probably aware of this band. Um, they were around for two years, from 93 to 1995. They released a split 7-inch with Texas, some releases on Art Monk, and some other things. Um, what's great about this moment is that it was after the alternative boom, and then it's kind of where hardcore and emo intermixed. And so some bands got picked up, some bands didn't. And it's a great story, and um, it was awesome that uh, this band is back. Basically, they reconnected during the pandemic, and they've got a new album. They're going to tour, and just the realization that they cared about the people in the band, and they wanted to make music again together. So um, it's kind of a great... Um, the sound is a combination, emo, hardcore, indie, and um, please check it out, Samuel SC. And uh, Vanessa and I have a great conversation about her life, music endeavors, and that they're still burning bright today. So I hope you enjoy. I want to thank all the Patreon supporters out there. If you want to support, help Washed Up Emo, uh, pay the bills uh, on the server and everything else. Washed Up Emo, uh, patreon.com slash washed up emo. Also, Double Elvis, thank you for being a podcast network that I'm a part of. If you want to learn more about their award-winning podcast, doubleelvis.com. This is episode 218 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Vanessa Downing from Samuel S.C. from a punk or hardcore background as like a as like a youth (laughs) um so being introduced to that world and meeting the the people involved in it not just musically but people doing zines and you know like I met all the like the girls that started Riot Girl, you know um Mm -hmm. and what they were doing and the things they were talking about and the things that they were passionate about um on a local level, on a global level, you know, human rights and women's rights and LGBT. I don't think LT, the T wasn't even in there yet. I don't even, I don't think the B was in there yet. I think it was just lesbian and gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, was really fascinating to me, but also it was the first time in my sort of young life that I felt like even, you know, full disclosure, like a lot of the music didn't resonate with me at all. Like I, I wasn't really into hardcore. I didn't really, it didn't, it didn't move me in the way that I saw it moving a lot of these other kids, but I loved the energy. I loved again, like the messaging that was going on. I loved the camaraderie, um, and all that, but, but I was, but I understood that these were people that had to create their own place, their own space for self-expression, for, to, to get out their angst and their frustration with all that shit that we saw going on between, you know, the, the warmongering, you know, the, the politics, the, you know, the poverty, the everything, all the, all the stuff that's, that's still going on and will go on until the end of time. Um, I saw like, Oh, this is kind of where, like, I'm kind of like a misfit, like these people, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of an outsider, you know, for one thing I was, you know, an openly gay young woman in a time where that was still not, you know, I I don't want to say it wasn't, I don't know how to choose my words here because it's not, I don't want to insinuate that there weren't other gay, you know, people making music or doing the things that I was doing, but I certainly didn't know a lot of them. Um, and they certainly weren't, um, the, the bulk of who was around me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I knew that they were, a lot of these kids were involved in this, this quote unquote scene. And I'm just kind of using that in a very, very loose kind of general term, because I know there were all these like subsets kind of going on that I probably didn't even know were happening, but that's why that time feels like it was so much longer for me as I'm talking about it. It's, it's, 
making me, uh, I don't know, feel, feel that, that real strong feeling of, uh, not, it's not just nostalgia or reminiscence. It's, I don't know, it's something else. It's like, this is part of what informed who I am today, being a part of that and being exposed to the people that I met and the music, even if I didn't love all the music. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love loud and heavy music, but um, hardcore just wasn't, you know, I didn't get into all of it because I was like a crazy hardcore kid that then wanted to be in a hardcore band. Like we didn't even think our band was necessarily a hardcore band. That was just the scene that, that we ended up kind of, it made sense, you know, and, and it kind of em- embraced us to a certain degree. And musically, did we fit there? I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but that's just, you know, so we ended up kind of with that sort of like, uh, post-hardcore, hardcore, emo, punk, whatever, those sort of labels, because we weren't really, we weren't ever going to be a mainstream band um, for a lot of reasons, um, even if we'd wanted to be, which we didn't, we didn't aspire to be that, but I don't think we really had that kind of, we didn't have a polished sound. We weren't polished musicians for starters, but, but, you know, we definitely had a raw, you know, energy. Um, So I think we had elements that, in the music and in the songwriting that tied us to, you know, punk, to to hardcore, to emo, to just straight up, you know, indie, alternative, whatever. Um, But yeah, we didn't really, I don't think we fit very comfortably in any one of those realms necessarily, but that was okay by us. You know, we didn't really care. Having those feelings talking about back then. And I think this happens a lot on the podcast. There are people that sort of start talking and then go, Oh wait, I remember this. I remember that. Bring (laughs) people back to the early nineties because I think it was an interesting moment before, uh, you know, definitely 92 that, you know, the year punk broke and all those things were sort of happening and different scenes were getting looked at, but also hardcore. Hardcore was moving into the post era. Emo was getting mentioned a little bit more. It was in the press. It wasn't in the press. Can you bring us back to that sort of time as Samuel was kind of getting going and your area that you were in? Yeah. So, so Junction disbanded and, you know, I had been sort of introduced already to, the this the hardcore you know hardcore music first of all and then also that sort of network and and scene if you will by by garrett mostly garrett rothman um who was our bass player um and because he was you know he was into it uh, he was into hardcore music he was really good friends with um the guys in this band called admiral um they all knew each other from the harrisburg pennsylvania area i think they'd grown up together more or less and so he, so he introduced me to hardcore. Okay. And so Junction had elements of that in it as well. The other members of the band were, came from very disparate, um, places musically. Um, Greg Foreman, you know, who went on later to do like Delta 72. Um, I'm not sure what else, but he was just an incredible musician, but he was really into like goth and, all kinds of different music, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really like a hardcore kid. Ben Azera, the drummer, he was into like funk and soul and jazz, hands down and goth, (laughs) like Susie and the Banshees and stuff like that. So Garrett was kind of like the, the, he kind of brought sort of hardcore into it. I think we all, you know, punk was there, was like the undercurrent, kind of like the driver, you know, like the middle finger to, doing anything remotely mainstream and not wanting to have to fit into like a pop, you know, like, like we're writing like pop songs or we're writing like standard rock, rock song. You know what I mean? So I think that was kind of the glue. And so when Junction disbanded, I knew I wanted to continue doing something like that. And I liked, I loved the volume. I loved being surrounded by Marshall half stacks and, and being enveloped by by the guitars, I loved the energy. Um, I loved the whole process of writing songs within a you know a group like that. You know, multiple people kind of weighing in, and just the whole process. So, and just like belting it out, you know, and just putting all your stuff out there on the line. I just I loved it. So that's kind of inspired Samuel. But again, you know, you're not working 
independently, you're not a solo artist, you're working with other people and they all bring their stuff to the table. Um, and that wasn't necessarily hardcore, but in terms of, you know, Josh wasn't really a hardcore kid. He was a violin player that now became this like guitar virtuoso. Um, but he listened to like, I don't know, all kinds of wacky stuff like Frank Zappa and, you know, really left of center stuff. Um, so where am I going with this? So we kind of ended up th this whole hardcore punk emo indie thing was really just just happening kind of all around us. And I think we kind of got it just made sense that that's where we this like bunch like band of misfits literally is going to land. And musically, there were just enough elements in the music that tied into all these different sort of little subgenres that it, it it worked. And and that's what a lot of people, I think, were doing musically. Like when you, you know, I look at these blogs and these and these things now that talk about like music from like underground music and indie music from from the 90s. And as if it's like, not, and I'm not saying that the, the, the people writing the blogs are saying all oh, this music sounded the same, but they're all kind of, it's, there's like this bucket, right? And there's so much diversity within that, that bucket. I mean, even within, I think, hardcore, there was a lot of diversity, which you could probably speak to better than I. Um, but, you know, we would, I would go see a band like Don Caballero. Like nobody was doing what they were doing. They were just like, I don't know if you remember them. Yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, yeah, right. And then you'd go see a band like, I don't know, like uh, Velocity Girl, who was doing something completely different. Or, I mean, gosh, now I, I can't, I can't think of the names, but like there were so many. But there was this like common thread, and I don't know if it was just like that everybody was just saying "f you" to like being like a major label this and that although of course that landscape changed um too as major labels started to look at ban bands like these maybe not don cab but certainly you know like a band like velocity girl might have been interesting mm -hmm. to to a, to a bigger label at that time um and perhaps they were i don't know so but that's kind of i don't know in some ways i think a separate conversation but but so we were just kind of like integrated into all that. And because we made all these friends, because everybody was so excited about playing music and playing shows and doing this, this all this DIY circuit stuff and singing about all the issues and things that they wanted to sing about, um, that everybody was friendly. And it didn't matter if your band, you know, like Samuel didn't sound like a lot of these hardcore bands that we played with, but they were super sweet to us you know and the audiences were by and large they would watch and they would listen and you couldn't always tell if they liked it but then you'd be back at your merch table and you'd sell a bunch of seven inches or i'd have a young woman come up to me very shyly and say thank you so much i've never seen a girl doing that can you imagine that i, know. I mean <laughs> we can all we can do rose colored as well but also like it was pretty fucked up Oh yeah, oh yeah. I got I got spit on. I got spit on at a at a concert once. Wow. Yeah, by a local kid in state college who had fallen in with like a neo Nazi mentor, <laughs> and um, you know, because I was out. Um, I mean, I wasn't like shouting it from the rooftops, but it was it was something that I did not hide, and you know. I, I kind of incorporated it into some of my music and that was just how I was kind of learning and expressing myself at the time. I, I, I cringe at a lot of that now. Yeah. <laughs> my older self is like, Oh girl, <laughs> but you know, the music and being around people that supported me, my friends, my bandmates was, was how I came out safely and felt supported in what was otherwise a very, very straight and somewhat conservative place. We're talking the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, so that happened. And yeah, there were other, there were all sorts of things. I mean, what about some yeah. good stuff? What about some good stuff? Like you said, like a young woman coming up to you or other things that you felt, you know, was progress versus, you know, um, were there things like that that you remember? I mean, that didn't happen a ton. I'd love to say it did, but the wow. few times that I can remember it happening where a young woman would, you know, want to talk to me and, and say, you know, she wanted to do a band or she had a band or whatever was, you know, really 
wonderful. But I would say, I would, I really would say like most of my friends at that time, I think just by virtue of, of being, you know, in a band that was all boys and playing with bands that were mostly white male boys, <laughs> white, white males rather, um, how, how absolutely willing they were to listen to me, to support me unconditionally, even if they didn't, you know, they'd never met another gay person or even if they didn't get it or they didn't want necessarily that to be like the focus of the band, which I didn't want it to be either. You know, I didn't, I wasn't right. in any way, shape or form interested in using the band as like a mouthpiece to be like gay, you know, gay, this, gay, that, um, probably on the contrary, but they were just great. And I, and I did meet some other gay, um, people, whether or not they were actually really out or if it was just kind of like you sort of knew, but mm -hmm. that was also, um, affirming. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think less than really there being specific moments, it was more just an understanding that I was in and around people that accepted me for who I was, which I think was what was appealing to everybody in that scene. Which is what anybody would want regardless. And I, I think if we can have the rose colored on or we, we can put them on halfway, I do think that was sort of what if I was in a if I was going to a show and there were certain things, people talking about certain things, there was obviously one hater in the crowd or there might have been some you yeah. know, skinhead. But overall, like you yeah. said, when the show's over and the line forms at the merch booth, there's going to be a few people that got it. And it's I feel like that with like comments online, like you're going to get mm -hmm. the nasty tweets back or the comment back on Instagram. And then years or not a year later, like, uh, you know, later that day, someone reaches out to you and like, oh, yeah, I've been you know, I've been following your band for like five years, uh, you know, this is my first time seeing you. And like you, you would have, because the loud person or the person that spit at you <laughs> was, uh -huh. was what you remembered. And I think those were, I think it's a, I think it's massive um, to think that someone saw you and was like, I can do that. And on, on top of that, you know, being confident with yourself and how you were. And then again, the overall thing of why you and I are even probably talking is because we felt a kinship in a world that, you know, you didn't feel connected to anybody. Right. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, and I would, I would say that what I remember as well as that young man spitting on me is a couple of years later, <clears throat> um, him apologizing to me. Wow. Yeah. That's a nice ending to the story, isn't it? Yeah. What was, what was that like? Was it, you're in the, was it a different city? Were you in a different place in life? What was the, <clears throat> no, we were still in state college and, um, yeah, I think that happened to me when I was in junction. So, I would have been in state college for at least a couple more years after that. So yeah, no, we were still in state college and, and he was very young when that incident happened. I think he was in high school and, um, he, like I said, he had just fallen under the influence of a bad guy, an older guy. Um, and at some point he found his way out of that and saw the, the error of his ways and he apologized to me and it was, I thought an incredibly brave um, thing to do. And I had, it was, there was no shred of, for me of anything, but you are absolutely a hundred percent forgiven and you know, let's go get coffee. You're, you're good. You're good, bro. You're good. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, 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 I think just to speak to you, you made a comment about me being confident, um, to do what I was doing. I don't know that I was a hundred percent confident. Really? Tell me. Yes, really. Well, for one thing, I was like a, I don't know, 19, 20, 21 year old girl, <laughs> young woman, um, who, you know, didn't think she was necessarily had any business, you know, singing in a band, um, 
in any business, um, you know, singing in a, a punk band, you know, cause like I said, I didn't come from all that. And so, you know, one of the, the other sides to this, this, this wonderful, you know, when you talk about rose colored glasses is there was, you know, there was a fair amount of like, you know, one upmanship and, and, uh, um, maybe that's not the right word. Kind of like, oh, but you, these guys, oh, but have you heard of this band? Oh, but what about this? You know, and, and I couldn't really participate in any of that because mm-hmm. I didn't, like I was telling you earlier, I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to really to punk music or even frankly, alternative music. I grew up listening to like, you know, Michael Jackson and like what we call classic rock and like, and then in high school, like rap, you know, um, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers, EPMD, RP, you know, like I, I was like into Motown and R&B. Um, and at some point, you know, I got introduced to like the Smiths and the Cure and I thought that was cool. But it really, I'm telling you, it really wasn't until I started playing in these bands that my, and, well, actually that's not true. My freshman year of college, I met this um, young woman. She was my RA and she became my my closest friend. And she was really into like, you know, cool, quote unquote, cool music. Okay. So all the alternative stuff of like the late eighties, early nineties, like all the British shoegaze stuff and, 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 and just all that stuff. Like, and so I, I got, you know, I got exposed to all that music and I fell in love with, with all of it pretty much. Um, and then, and then I met the junction guys and then Garrett and all that stuff kind of came after, um, so, but you still felt you know, when you were on, like you didn't, did you feel that you didn't belong or did you feel that there was, like you said, I, I still think I call that confidence. You were in a band, you went up on stage and you were your yourself as much as you could at that age. If you think that everybody that gets on stage in a band is confident, you're crazy. You at least got past the, I'm going to go do that. You did it. I did do it. And I, I, I did it because I did feel supported by my bandmates and by my friends and peers. And I did it because there was something in me that the fun of it and the pleasure of it and the satisfaction of it outweighed the other stuff. So the other stuff was absolutely imposter syndrome, that little buzz phrase that everybody uses. I absolutely had that. I didn't think I was cool. I didn't think I was half as cool as the guys in my band or the bands you were playing with the other women and I'd see like Kathleen Hanna and bikini kill. I was like, I'm not, I'm no, I don't hold a candle with that woman, <laughs> you know? And, and like, you know, and I'm like, okay, so, you know, I didn't think I was a great singer, you know? And it was like, it doesn't matter. Just, just do the best you can do your thing. And, and if it sounds good to you and your band, you keep doing it. And if anybody else likes it, great, but you know, and that was kind of it. But I think I had a lot of confidence issues. And then some of that was around being, I think, a, 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 just a girl, you know, in that culture. A young woman in 1992, United States of America, you know? Yeah. Um, in, in an in a, in a, in a environment that was dominated by young men who were who looked at least on the surface, very confident, very confident. I mean, look at what these guys, how they were performing, how they were expressing themselves, what they were wearing, how they were talking, their body language. Mm -hmm. They oozed confidence. Even the ones that were like, you know, the nerdier hardcore kids, they still looked fucking cool, you know? And I mean, then you get into like, you know, the Fugazi guy, that whole that whole scene, all the discord people, my God, doesn't get a lot cooler than that. You know, (laughs) I mean, so yeah, I just was like, Oh, I just, you know, just, we'll just be over here doing our thing. Pay no mind, you know, and honestly, just to flash forward now, I, I don't think any of us in the band had any idea that, that anybody beyond our immediate sort of circle of friends and, a few like quote unquote fans who might've picked up along the way in our tours, but the small amount of material release at that time, we didn't think we had like any kind of following for, you know, to speak of beyond maybe, you know, a couple hundred people. And that, and that may still be true. We, we may not have any <laughs> following to speak of. That, that, and that's okay. Um, uh, 
yeah, there's no, there's no uh, end game to, to get a big following, but, but uh, it was surprising to find out years later that, that people that hadn't seen us play had heard of us and that were interested in us and that liked our music. That was really fun to find that out. When did you Even find that it, out? You know, uh, well, or Let's what was see. the yeah? What was the situation? Was it you know someone posted something online or you know? Yeah, I guess that would be it. It would have to be when people started. <laughs> oh my god, I'm really dating myself now. We all started using the internet. And that's you could fine. Find it gets mentioned all the time. Stuff. Yeah, it gets yeah, it's mentioned all the time. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine sometime you know after that, um, when we all started getting comfortable with the internet and using it more as like a resource and a tool to like find out stuff. Yeah, you you know, some point along the way, one of us must have said, hey, did you see this thing? Like, these kids over here, these people are talking about Samuel. There's a review. Did you know that Did you know that we got reviewed back then by the zine? Like, no, I didn't know that. How would I have known that? Right. So, and I'm not talking about, like, a wealth of stuff on the internet about Samuel, but but just little things here and there. And it was like, oh, dang, that's that's kind of cool. That's That's neat. Um, cause it, yeah, you're right. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, it's, it's not like the, the zine would have sent you a copy. Um, you needed to see it if, if, if you saw it and who knows how the hell they got the seven inch or how the hell they found it or art monk yeah. did a mailing and maybe they heard back exactly. and maybe they didn't, or they did it two years later. So yeah, there is that sort of, I think that's great. I think that is, that does happen with bands that have, you know, they sort of had a moment and they went away and then slowly these things start happening or um, other websites or podcasts reach out to them and say, no, no, this is really cool. Or this this meant a lot to me, similar to maybe that young woman coming up to you. You know, it's sort of those things yes. you don't really resonate with then. So I guess was that something always in the back of your mind that that's kind of crazy? We had this band that, you know, sort of impacted a few people. Um, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what a neat feeling to have. And, and believe me, it's not one I take, I take lightly. Um, how lucky, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, certainly just, you know, in the last couple of years since we've been, um, kind of trying to get the word out that, Hey, we're a band again and we're making this record and Hey, now we have a record and Hey, we're going to play some shows. And, um, it's been fun to meet people or hear from people again that we knew back then. Um, and people that we didn't know say, Hey, you, you know, we never got to see you guys play live. I really hope you guys tour. And that's really fun to hear. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Hey, your music got me through a tough period in my life. I mean, come on. Like that's, I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, great. Wow. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, so yeah, that that's been really, really, really sweet um, for sure. How about the uh, attachment to the word emo? Well, you know, there's always a know. sigh after I ask that. Are we a are we an emo band? I don't know. Isn't there a whole like site devoted to deciding whether a band is emo or not? Do you know we who started plug- that? Is that you? Yeah. All right, we'll just plug, plug All right, our name hold on, in there. Hold on, let tell, me see if I add. I will. Hang says. on. Hold, there's no algorithm. It is just me. Uh, let's see if uh, it is you a. Are, you are your own algorithm. Well, Tom. it is. It, it's a grouping of people I call the emo council, and they um, they decide <laughs> uh, they're in an emo band. And I have your live of insects seven inch as the uh, attachment. Yeah, baby. There you go. So you're in there. So now that you're in this site that's a joke that people think is serious what what were your thoughts of the word then and have you had further thoughts about that word after the way that your band was connected which i also just like to say post hardcore after because i feel like those things ran one after another but um just initially your thoughts on the word when you had sort of first heard it and then thoughts on it now with your band connected and obviously confirmed while we're talking here on the official website the official website, very official. Um, I, I just, for the record, I did pretty much think that was a joke. Okay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> um, you. Yeah, yeah. I was not. I did not believe that that was like that. You're you take yourself that seriously. Um, it's been absolutely hilarious to think people think it is, and I actually no. photoshopped a fake. Uh, there's a laundromat in Brooklyn that a friend photoshopped to make it look like it was our home office. 
And um, people think that that's real and they go to that address looking for it. Oh um, my God. It's fun. Anyway, yes, continue. Emo Samuel, what the hell is that uh, word? Why are we associated <laughs> with it? All right. Um, all right. Here we go. Full transparency, baby. I thought it was funny, emo, to describe a genre of music. I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, emo. What year was that? Uh, I don't know, 90, 90, 90, I, around the time of Samuel, probably. 90, I don't know if Junction, I don't know if there was like emo. It hadn't come into your talk. circle yet. I don't think so. So maybe like 93, 94, maybe 95. Mm-hmm. I think I just thought, okay, so what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing is that emo is like, it's like these like young, what I perceive to be. Now, mind you, this is a younger not as you know worldly knowledgeable <laughs> i'm i'm being facetious vanessa okay this is young vanessa perhaps judging unfairly okay um <laughs> i want to talk to vanessa then that's what i'm what, about right now i want to i want you are, like in 21 22 talking to me and then we just play this one right after it damn it all right i'm like what are all these young fucking <laughs> middle upper middle class white boys so fucking upset about like why are they like crying what are they kicking and screaming about seriously <laughs> keep that going that was my initial that was my initial reaction keep when going. i started hearing about emo and then seeing what was like attached to it i was like why what really like they're really gosh they're really upset what are they so upset about have they are they not old enough to cash in on their trust fund is that the problem <laughs> they gotta wait a couple more years <laughs> Mom's mom's not picking them up af- after the show. I mean, what what is so there was a little bit of that. And mm-hmm. I think and I think and again, I remember how this all this music did not necessarily speak to me. It uh, just on a visceral musical level. Like you know how we have our taste, right? And it's not that something is good or something is bad. It's about what speaks to you. What makes your heart like, oh, okay. Somebody just wrote a book about it called, um, oh, do you know the book I'm talking about? No. I have two, I have two copies if I haven't read it yet. Why do you, got, why do you got, have two copies? Did it was a gift? I got, I, yeah, I got, I, I think I got one copy for my wife and then, and then somebody gifted me one. Um, it's called, this is what it sounds like, or something, what it sounds like. And it's all about how there's a whole science. There's a whole reason why it's called, this is what it sounds like, what the music you love says about you. Yes. Yes. We all have to read this book and then we'll understand why we like what we like. Um, You know, what's weird is the Kindle price is $6 and 66 cents. What the fuck? (laughs) Well, is it weird? I don't know. I'm into it. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) So, yeah. So, so I think too, because I wasn't like immediately like, you know, this, this fan of hardcore emo, whatever I, I was, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say dismissive, but like, I didn't really take it seriously, I guess. Interesting. Um, and it, yeah, I, it, I don't know. It's kind of mean, isn't it? These poor kids out there screaming, their, you know, like their broken hearts spilling all over the stage and here I am in the corner smoking a cigarette laughing at them. <laughs> Terrible. It's you okay. Know? It's okay. Um, but, but some of these bands were really great and, and really making great music. And actually what I came to believe and feel as I do now is now mind you I don't really listen I don't know what's going on in emo these days you would have to you'd have to get me up to speed there but these there was there was it was so visceral and so um like these these people were brave to to be making this kind of music to be singing about the things they were singing about to be singing about being in love and being heartbroken or or their dad used to rough them up or they struggled with thoughts of suicide or whatever it was like that was actually really brave and who the fuck was i to piss on that like no like good on them and yeah so i don't know where emo has gone really since that i did not follow really the genre and i know there's like all the sub genres and this and that um again you could educate me there but at least then and what i think of the music that i was hearing then what i think of it now is that those folks doing it were um 
brave is just the word that comes to mind because it wasn't, I don't know if it was very cool to be it wasn't um, singing about those things and like expressing themselves in that way. I think for women, it was probably more, maybe more initially kind of like acceptable or palatable to folks. Cause like, well, women, you know, girls are going to sing about the boy that broke their heart. That's what they do. But for boys to be singing about that, you know, unless you're like Phil Collins, which was not cool at all. Like, so I don't know. I think, I think, yeah. Emo's good. Emo is good. So Samuel is back and you have uh, rumbled around <laughs> in, <laughs> in years past and now currently. And then there's a new album, correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, when we started talking about getting um, three quarters of the band back together, um, it was really just to revisit some older material that we'd never recorded and that was sort of the impetus and also to get together as friends and just reconnect and all that um and it sort of morphed into hey you know why don't we keep going and write some new music and a lot of that was sort of instigated by um we were talking about about mike from darkest hour he was um very enthusiastic about the project and um, really um, encouraged us to put out a full length rather. He's like, you know, you're, you're, you're recording five songs. Like, what are you going to do with that? What's that? That's an EP. Who cares about that? You should make an album. Um, This music is great. So he was really just a lovely cheerleader. And we thought, okay, well, sure. Why not? Because I think at that point we were enjoying it so much and having this sort of excuse to, get together and hang out and have fun together again that was like all right well why stop now so we went back to our respective homes and locations and drummed up three more new songs um and then went back to dc and recorded those and that all took you know many many months and stuff because of covid and distance and scheduling etc so out of that came this album that we decided to call high places, which is on um, the title of one of the, the new songs on the album. Um, so, okay. So now we have an album. Great. Well, what are we doing with it? You know, is this just for us, you know, which is fine. Or do we want to try to just put it out there and maybe there are some people out there who might be interested and might enjoy it. Um, and Eric's like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm part owner of this small label and I bet, I bet they do it. And, so he talked to his partners at the label and they liked the record and they said, you know, they would be happy to do it. Um, so great. Now we have a label. Awesome. That's exciting. It's like, well, if we're going to put out an album, we should probably play some shows to support it. Right. I mean, wouldn't that be fun? So, you know, everything just kind of, um, stemmed from, from there. And, you know, now we're in the process of, um, trying to put together some shows and talking to, bands from that era, you know, our original era that, that have also sort of reunited or are in the process of doing so. Um, and seeing if, if they want to hook up or, you know, whoever really, and, um, just get out there and have some fun, really. See if we, see if we still got some legs underneath us. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I can still, I can still pogo. Come on now. Wow. I like that. (laughs) And then the name of the record. It's called High Places, mm-hmm. um, not to be confused with, uh, I think there's like a country western song out there called I've Got Friends in Low Places. Um, so it's not that. It's kind of like the opposite, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Ish. Ish. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And um, it's out on Org Music, which is a very, very cool label. It does a lot of um, reissue stuff, kind of running the gamut of genres um, they just put out like a bunch of bad brains, um, reissues and, <clears throat> and they do some new, new bands as well. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the story there. And we were talking to, you know, some, some friends, um, like I said, from back in the day that are doing some cool stuff now and, and everybody's pretty psyched about hooking up and, Hopefully, you know, I'll be able to post some news about shows very, very soon. I mean, we've been kind of teasing it, 
um, for, for, for a while now, but it's just, it's hard, you know, with COVID and now everybody's wanting to play shows. Um, you know, people that had shows set up that were tours and then they had to get canceled and reshuffled and this and that. Um, so I get it, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a sea of insanity out there trying to book stuff, but we'll get there. Um, and we're not in any big hurry. We're not going anywhere. We're committed to supporting the record and, and to continuing to make, um, new music together. So that's exciting too. I'm already, you know, I'm already thinking about the next record and what it's going to look like and sound like we've got about five or six songs we've been workshopping you know, mostly remotely. Um, I'm super stoked about, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just not, it's just a, it's kind of an exciting time. I love that. I mean, just being able to have it be that you've connected again and yes, there might be some shows or there are going to be shows or there'll be, uh, a way that you're celebrating or there's music, but to know that you just said that, Oh, we're making, we're making more stuff and we're going to try this. And, it's almost like that that was worth it in, in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes, the I think what you're sort of touching on is the the sort of the friendships and the history and all that. Yes. Um, that is is the driving force, obviously, to us reconnecting. Um, certainly nostalgia played a huge part, I think, at least for me. I don't want to speak for the for the other guys, but um you know, really when you have some time and space and distance away from a certain period of your life, it, it kind of allows you to, you know, reflect in a certain kind of way. Um, that's just not available if you haven't had the time and space and distance. And, and I have had that, um, because a lot of years have passed and I think it's only just really dawned on me over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, how impactful that time was for me, um, the friendships, you know, the kinds of friendships you make at that age, um, when you're young, you're still relatively unattached, your eyes are just wide open. You're just drinking everything in you're hungry, you know, you're hungry for life and for love and adventure and all, all the things that we, that we write about, you know, um, and that we dream about. And you kind of think it's going to, be that way forever or that you're going to feel like that forever or that you're going to continue to make friends like that forever. And, um, nothing stays the same, you know, everything, everything changes over time. And I don't mean to say that you can't continue to have dreams or to make awesome friends or to have adventures as you get older, but things do shift, you know, um, they just, they just do, or they did for me. And, and I think it, whenever I would think back on that time when I was in junction, when I was in Samuel, when I was running around with all those people, when I was hearing all these bands and, and making friends with people doing just really interesting art and the way that they were expressing themselves and the things that they were talking about and thinking about, it was just, um, it was just really, it's a really pivotal time for me. And I know that it, it, it helped shape a lot of who I am today. Um, <clears throat> and informed a lot of the decisions that I made about the life, you know, that I wanted to have and the sort of the trajectory that, that it, that it took, you know, knowing that <laughs> so much of what happens to us is really beyond our control. And we don't, you know, we, we can plan as much as we want and then, you know, whatever shit happens. But, but so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say nostalgia um, or some sort of like yearning for my youth or whatever doesn't play any part because that would be a lie. Um, but, but, but I, I think what's most exciting to me now is that, is that we have reconnected. We, we, we know we all still love each other. We know we also have a great time together and we're all still interested in making music. So let's just keep doing it. Whatever happens with it, whatever, as long as we're having a good time and it allows us this, this reason to, um, to get together and to try to craft music and drink beer and eat pizza and you know eric makes really good pizza by the way um homemade pizza you know then let's just keep doing that and because you know life is short and and there may may be a time when we we just can't do it you know somebody gets sick or somebody god forbid dies or you know things move in a different direction so 
Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a seize the day sort of thing, I think, that we're in right now. At the risk of sounding really, really, really freaking corny. That's not corny at all. And you know, it's it's also, you know, I've had I've had a wonderful opportunity to, you know, in also revisiting Samuel, like a lot of the music I was listening to around then that I kinda had tucked away, you know, and kind of stepped away from, you know, diving back into some of that stuff, some of that stuff from the nineties and early two thousands. Um, so that's been fun too. Um, what did you lock away? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even think I have a CD player in my house anymore. And so I had, I had a ton of stuff on CD, the old compact disc. They don't even put them in cars anymore. You know that? I know. Right. I still have a, I still have all my, uh, I have, I I don't have all my CDs, but I have, I have a, a large collection. I still have two CD players that still work. Um, yeah. But yes, those are that is uh so so you're going back to some of your things that you had back then. Yeah, so like I don't know, what did I like? I was into stuff like the Stone Roses and the Delgados and you know, of course like Built to Spill and um you know, a lot of like the I don't know, like the Merge Records stuff and, you know, Sugar, all the Bob Mould stuff and, you know, stuff like that. Um, wedding present. Um, I don't know. I mean, tons of stuff. Um, it's stuff that I forgot about. You know, the Grifters, this great band from, I think they're from uh, Memphis. Oh, they were such a cool band. Um, and I'd forgotten about them, you know, because, I don't know, I just had tucked the CD away and, and they're 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 at sat. So right. pulling all pulling that stuff out again in those sort of fits of nostalgia is, is can actually be really a good thing, you know. Yeah. The long and short of it. Now, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a woman in her, you know, over fifty. <laughs> it's just hard to believe. And I have a a sixteen month old baby, which is almost as hard to believe, if not harder. <laughs> and um and um and I'm playing in my you know, playing in my nineties uh indie emo whatever band it's like life couldn't be better (laughs) you know i think that there's there are pockets of folks out there that you know might remember us or whether they had the seven inches or whether they discovered them later but never got to see us that you know they might be they might be into it and like interested in in um hearing about us and checking out the record so I don't expect that there's tons and tons of those people, but the ones that are out there, I just love for us to be able to reach, you know, if mm-hmm. possible. So any, you know, this type of thing is, is hugely helpful. And just for the record, <clears throat> I did look up your, um, you, your website <clears throat> before. And I saw that you um, had this sort of interesting history yourself, Tom. With what? Well, <clears throat> kind of how you came to, to doing washed up emo. Um, and that it's just this sort of labor of love and, and all that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. No one told me to do this. Um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why, why, why would you, right? Why would um, I, I mean, it's the most marginalized word I've ever dealt with. Um, people have such a weird understanding of it and it's um, frustrating most of the time of people realizing that this word is more than just a joke or a laugh. And uh, unfortunately um, there's been some wins and losses and um, interesting, you know, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been fun. Some people uh, you're not going to win over everybody, but there are little moments where someone in a different country or someone in a, uh, you know, comes up to you at a show and they, you know, saw a band or found out a band, but most of the time it's, it's pretty much a, a, a dark, uh, sad place for something that I always say emo's not sad, but definitely trying to promote the word um, is uh, insanely uh, tiring. That's interesting. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I know I, you know, I made some jokes about how I perceived it when I was younger, mm-hmm. when it kind of first started. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I think you can kind of poke fun at almost any genre for, for a variety of reasons. Right. If it's like, and usually why do we poke fun at something? It's cause we don't, we don't understand it or we can't relate to it or 
I don't, I don't know what all the reasons are, but I mean, I think if I understand emo, like what, what that means, it's about just being true to yourself and your heart and how you express yourself authentically. And I don't know, like, I don't see how that could be bad, you know, and I, I felt bad even saying anything remotely negative but the truth that was the truth that at the time i was like what are these you know which was silly because you know you don't know what anybody else's experience is totally. you know and you know i was just you know a very self-centered young woman who was you know like i worried about my own struggle and not that i didn't care about other people's experiences or you know what what kind of pain other people were experiencing in the world because i you know obviously i knew there's there's a lot but but, you know, I, I did have a little chip on my shoulder, you know, when I would see these like white boys um, <clears throat> screaming and crying and this and that. And which is which was not very nice of me, you know. And then I became friends with a lot of those boys and, um, you know, developed uh, an affinity um, for them mm-hmm. um, and, and a respect as well. Um but when I, you know, now flash forward, here we are now we're like back kind of in the game a little bit. Just I, I didn't we I didn't know that there was any sort of like a resurgence of of 90s hardcore emo or anything like that. When we first started talking about doing Samuel again, that was not anywhere on any of our radar. That was just I, I don't think any of us were clued into that. And in fact, I don't even know if the resurgence had started happening. But by the time we got around to actually doing the record. I mean, if anything, I think maybe things are winding down now and people will start moving on to another era that they think is interesting. I don't know. Um, but, you know, anyway, I, I discovered that there's all these like labels, right? There's I know somebody in Japan called us emo, um, oh, some like emo pop or pop. Some, I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but like all these like little sub emo labels. I mean, I know about screamo, you know, and that kind of thing, but I was like, wow. So was there's this whole like era of sub genre emo that I didn't even know happened. (laughs) I guess so. So much was lost in that era. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I'm amazed that, that as much was found on Samuel and other, you know, bands that we were playing with, like that people managed to get up on YouTube or, that when we were doing like a shout out, like, Hey, does anybody have flyers or old footage or photos and stuff resurfaced that we didn't know existed, which was pretty cool and still, still finds its way to us sometimes. Yep. Um, so it's, yeah, it's neat. It's neat. And I'm so happy for like the karate guys. I mean, we, they, they played, I've known those guys since the early nineties and I ended up playing uh, music with a couple of the guys, two of the guys played with, with Dean and I, I had a project called Rosa Chancewell after Dean and I moved to Boston after Samuel disbanded, we, you know, continued playing as a band together and recruited Gavin to play drums. And then Jeff Goddard played bass on our album. And, um, you know, I, Gavin was my roommate for a while. Jeff Rina was my roommate. For, so we like hung around those guys and watched karate grow from their early beginnings when they were just a three piece and just super wet behind the ears, you know, like Gavin had just graduated from Berkeley <clears throat> and to like into this really kind of, I don't know, like, like sophisticated, like they were just became really, really good musicians and, and just really went for, for the sound that they went for, which was so unique, you know? Um, <clears throat> and that was, that was a really fun piece of that time like after samuel when dean and i moved to boston again this is like 90 this is like 96 now so and i'm working at the middle east that you know in cambridge and seeing like awesome bands all the time all the time come through middle east tt the bears i mean i think i was one year shy of missing nirvana but that was a really great time too um so post you know post samuel but into the sort of late 90s karate <clears throat> did you know was putting out records and we were all just going to shows all the time you know and and supporting each other and that was great 
I was in a band called the Wicked Farleys briefly. Mm-hmm. We did a, like a little mini tour with the Postal Service. It's probably the biggest show I ever played was at <clears throat> the Mercury Lounge opening up for them. I mean, that was quite something. What what year was that? Um, Gosh, I would say maybe 98. Nice. Maybe 98 or 99. Yeah. I, I don't know how they knew of us. Our guitar player, so the guitar player in the Wicked Farleys had been in a band called Swirlies. Mm-hmm. Do you remember them? Yes. Yeah. So, and his name is Rob and Rob now plays w- with Kurt Vile. Um, but I think, I think that, um, the postal service knew the Swirlies and so I, maybe that's how they got clued into the Wicked Farleys. I'm not really sure. Actually, you know what? It wasn't the Wicked Farleys that opened for them. It was an offshoot called Certainly Sir. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but that was really fun. So I got to have all these fun experiences going to see, you know, like Blonde Redhead. They played the Middle East like once every year or two. They are awesome. You know, Dismemberment Plan, um, Flaming Lips, just, you know, in like a 500, 600 capacity venue. Sometimes one night after the other, there'd be like three shows back to back, just stacked bills of like awesome bands. I don't think we knew how spoiled we were at the time. Right. It was just, it's just, you know, somebody, um, a couple of the old booking agents from the Middle East, Margot Edwards and Terry Park, one of them was putting up old flyers, old calendars from the Middle East from that era. And it's astonishing when you look at, there'd be like a stacked bill in the upstairs room, which was like maybe 200 capacity. And the downstairs room, which is, I think, 600, maybe more. And there'd be stacked bills, same night. And I remember, like, nights like that, you'd go upstairs to catch one band, then you'd run downstairs to catch, you know, and both rooms might be full. It's wow. crazy. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, the old days. <laughs> don't worry. That's the <laughs> podcast. Don't, don't, don't end your sentences that way. This is the one place where you can, you can, you can get positive reinforcement for those stories. <laughs> Well, it's more just like, ah, uh, you know, like it's more just like, I don't even think I would have the energy to do that now. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> I would. I would. I went to see karate when they came through. I went to, they had like a little sneak peek show um, the night before their, their, their run at um, the Sinclair. And that was awesome because I got to see them, a bunch of old friends and. And then I, and then I, did I go to, I don't think I went to the others, but yeah, it was super fun. I've been trying to go to see live music more again, Tom. I'm getting okay, back good. into the All swing right, of good, it. Good. Yes. 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 If, if, if I accomplish anything, it was that you're going to go to more shows, even though you I'm have a 16 month shows. old. <laughs> My wife is very supportive. She's like, she thinks it's awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I got to get, I got to get into the swing of it because if I'm going to play any shows and like be up on a stage at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. I know you got to get those legs back. Exactly. So Junction actually opened for for Fugazi once in State College. Oh, cool. I know, right? And they were very sweet. And I remember really <clears throat> chumming it up with Brendan in particular. What a sweetheart. Oh, yeah. But, um, but then Amanda, Amanda, you know, she had this band called, she had a couple bands, Desiderata, Jury Rig. I can't remember which came first, but they toured with us. Oh, cool. And so Amanda and I became good friends. And um, yeah, we did a couple of tours. One where I think we toured with her band and then another um, where maybe she roadied for, she made a roadie for the band. We toured with Kerosene 454. Mm-hmm. That was Samuel. Honestly, I don't remember. But, um, but, but a friendship came out of that. Like her and I, you know, instantly gelled and <clears throat> we stayed in touch loosely and then of course we lost touch at a certain point but we have reconnected oh cool and yeah and we're and actually bedmaker you know we're talking to them about doing shows together she's totally psyched about that talking to ryan nelson and continuals because you know darren zentek was part of our state college crew yep you know, him and jay him and jay marinelli were in a band together and darren's like one of the sweetest humans on the planet so we're talking to them we're talking to garrett <clears throat> about doing things with um his band so there's definitely a lot of like, we're talking to the guys from po- Pogo, I think yep. that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. We're talking, to, they're Samuel fans and they want to do something. So I think there's there's going to be opportunities for us to to partner with some fun folks and reconnect. And do, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's kind of neat. But, and then it's like going down that rabbit hole, like, wait, when did we, what year was that? You know, we're all trying to remember because we're all old. <laughs> it's like, wait, which tour was that? <laughs> but that's fun too, you know? 
because sometimes somebody remembers something that you forgot and you're like, oh shit, that's right. That happened at that Denny's. You you did that? You lit your farts on fire in the parking lot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, somebody, and somebody called the cops and we had to, you know, bust it out of there. <clears throat> Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got we had some we had some pretty good good tour stories. <laughs> well you're gonna have some more. Oh, you're sweet to say so. I appreciate that. I appreciate the support. Cool. And yeah, well let's stay in touch.